Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, consider joining my crew on Patreon to win amazing prizes like our adorable merch, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, and incredible sex toys. Go to patreon.com slash sexedwithdb to join my crew. Get discounts at all of your favorite sex toy shops at sexedwithdb.com. And follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. If you want to partner with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Close your eyes and think of your ideal sex toy. No matter what you like, you'll find it at Fun Factory. A few things Fun Factory's toys all have in common. They're 100% body safe so your mind is free to focus on fun. They include sex educator design games to get you going. And they're made in Germany, meaning they're long lasting. You get more O's from your toy when it stays in your nightstand and out of the landfill. Follow Fun Factory on IG at FunFactoryUSA and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your new favorite German vibe. If you've been a longtime fan of Sex Ed with DB, you've definitely heard of Clona Willy. But if you're new here, let me fill you in. Clona Willy makes incredible DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a high quality, 100% body safe sex toy. And there are so many fun colors to choose from. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 20% off at clonawilly.com and follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. We talk a lot about sex ed, but when we're shopping for products to support our sexual wellness, exploration, and expression, we head to the experts at Lion's Den. Lion's Den is an adult retailer with 46 locations nationwide and hundreds of your favorite brands. They have everything you need to explore and express your sexual side. Right now, you can use code SEXEDWITHDB for 15% off your purchase in-store and online. Follow them on social media at Lion's Den Adult on IG and TikTok for exclusive offers, deals, and giveaways. Hi, Mom. Hi, Danielle. Welcome back to the podcast, the girls' room. Just kidding. How are you? Good. You know, I love to talk to you and talking in public, the best. (laughs) The best. Uh, Well, we are very excited to have you back on. You have been on this show more than I can even count. Um, If I were to count, this is your sixth not even episode though, because in the first season you were on like six episodes that season. Well, don't and forget then, when, you first, when you first started out, I said if you don't have any guests, I'll be your, I'll be your guest. <laughs> so and that's correct. You are our guest multiple multiple times, and we've we've had you on to talk about so many things. In the first season, it was kind of like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, whatever topics we were covering for each guest you know, every single episode, birth control, BDSM, blah, blah, blah. But since then, you've been back to talk about postpartum depression and COVID and mental health and uh, vagina lasers episode, which was all about menopause and pain during sex and pleasure and older people having sex and 
all of the things, but low libido. Don't forget that one. Low libido. (laughs) We've also talked about that. So if you're listening and you haven't heard my beautiful, brilliant mom talk about all of these topics, go back and listen to them. Um, But I just have to say, I'm so excited to have you on today because we're doing a whole pregnancy 101 episode. So we're going like back to basics, I guess. (laughs) I think it's a great idea because you know, I've been delivering babies for, I would say, almost 30 years now. And as much as it seems like the mechanics of it are always the same, someone gets pregnant, someone has a pregnancy, someone goes into labor, someone has a baby, there's just so much information out there. And as time has gone on, like, don't forget, I was doing this before there was an internet. <laughs> so people would actually take a book out of the library <laughs> to read it What's that? about pregnancy. No, but you know, now it's, it's good and bad that there's so much more information out there because some of it is you have it at your fingertips. I can tell my patients, if you're nauseous in pregnancy and you want to know if a medication is okay for you to take. There's a website you can go to that I recommend. But there's also a million sites that you can go to that will tell you bad things. And it's really hard for the average intelligent individual to make that decision on which one is right and which one's not. So it's a lot harder to give information now because not only are you trying to give information, you're trying to combat all the wrong information. So that's become harder. Yeah. And people are just inundated with so much. And especially with everything being available or most things being available online nowadays, I feel like it's harder to get people in for visits or into a class or a workshop or something like that. But let's back the truck up for people who, which this would be wild if you're listening to this and you don't know my mom, but mom, introduce yourself, tell everyone who you are, your expertise so they know. Okay. So my name's Dr. Rebecca Levy Gant. I'm Danielle's mom, mm-hmm. also mom to her other siblings, who are my other two sons. So, being a mom is my biggest job ever, ever. But now that everyone has moved away, pretty much the last one's still here. Um, <laughs> now that everyone's pretty much moved away, um, my other focus for the last uh, 30 years has been on obstetrics and gynecology. And I've basically been a generalist, which means I've done pretty much everything. And as I've gotten older, I've done a little bit less of certain things and a little more of others. I still deliver babies. I live in Napa. I own my own practice. Um, And I love the obstetric part of it, which is a lot of what I'm going to share with you today. But I also have a very busy menopause practice. So I do take care of a lot of women over 40 because there is really no specialized place for women to go um, if they want information and treatment for menopause and specific menopausal symptoms that they might be having. So that's pretty much a focus. But like I said, I still do the other stuff. So I still enjoy it. And I think I'll do it until I don't enjoy it anymore. And, you know, I've Mm. had to change with with the times. And I still like it a lot, talk about it a lot. I do a lot of teaching, a lot of lecturing at medical schools and at um, conferences. And I love my patients. And they love you. Um, (laughs) For those of you who, again, don't know, be wild again, if you didn't know me talk about my mom, but I just love, I love you, obviously, you're my mom. Um, But I just think that you are such a person who lives in your passions and really stands up for what you believe in 
for your patients and ensures that the most people that you care for get the best, most scientifically backed, honest care. And I just so appreciate you being my biggest role model. So love you. you. I always love to hear that. So thank you. And I'm, I'm really, really proud of you that you have in some way kind of followed, not in my footsteps, because that's not really true, but, you know, well, but have found your own path and passion and that some of that passion is for some of the things that I do and have always done and have always spoken about at the dinner table when we (laughs) have had those kind of conversations. So I'm, I'm proud of you. Thanks, mom. Love you so much. Call your mom if you're listening and you have a good relationship or a bad relationship with your mom. Just like give her give her a call. Tell her you love her or someone else's mom. I don't care. Just do it. Um, all right. Pregnancy 101 or like sex ed about pregnancy. So first of all, this is like not really a thing that I feel like I learned in my sex ed. I feel like if we're talking about pregnancy, the only thing that I can remember learning is from bio, which is when you talk about sperm meeting the egg and fertilizing it. And there's millions of sperm, but only one make it. And, you know, that's kind of like the main thing you learn. And then, you know, oh, then you learn there's a baby. And then nine months in quotes, because it's not really nine months, as you say, later out pops a baby. And that's kind of like that and like drugs and alcohol, like stuff and like STIs were like the only things that I really remember learning about pregnancy and sex ed. And so I'm curious for you, mom, like two things. One, do you remember like a conversation with us, like as your kids being like, oh, like, let me talk to you about like how babies are born or like, you know, how pregnancy happens? Was that like a, 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 the quote unquote, the talk that you remember giving us? Like there wasn't probably one moment, right? I felt like because of you guys being so exposed to what I did on an, on an everyday basis, I felt like every time I kind of got ready to do a talk about it, that one of you guys like beat me to it. And like, you're, you, you kind of let me know that you already knew that stuff. So I would try to at least talk about the things that I thought were important to be safe, to not become or get someone pregnant if that was not the goal, which in high school, I was hoping that was not the goal. Um, But yeah, I think we talked about it in context of my job. Like sometimes you guys would go with me to the hospital, like and be there in the delivery room, in in the on-call room overnight or something like that. And there were things about getting pregnant, being pregnant. Um, I know that you could always tell that there was definitely things associated with it that were not great, like pain, Hmm. (laughs) like, you know, emergencies, like blood, things like that. So I kind of feel like that was part of your exposure. But, and I, and I know we've had talks about like, um, contraception, you know, using condoms and and things like that. But I don't really think that we ever had to sit down and and say, this is the mechanics of it. And I I do think in meeting my patients, and because I see patients from age like 15 and up, and sometimes I feel like, hmm, I think they must know things. So without me saying, let me explain this to you. So you. So in the same way of my own teenagers, I feel like there is a way that you have to gauge what people know and and start from there. 
and then move on and be able to tell them things that they need to know. Because judging from the patients that I see who are not teenagers, 20s and 30s, either trying to get pregnant or already pregnant, there's a lot of lack of knowledge there. Not not about how do you get pregnant. Obviously, most people know how they get pregnant, but some don't. Some uh, yeah, think that anal is like a pathway. Yeah, that's, that's true. possible for pregnancy. That's true. But uh, in general, people know, but they d- and they know the mechanics, but they don't know real specifics because, uh, I mean, put it this way: statistics say that fifty percent of pregnancies are still unplanned in this country. Right. So that means a large number of people are going, oh. How did that happen? Or I wasn't expecting that. When in all honesty, sometimes I, I want to pose the question, wait, so you were having sex, you were not using birth control, and you do have periods. And you can say to me, how did that happen? I mean, yeah, that, that's not a nice conversation. That's not a nice way to say it. But in my head, I might be saying that because it's not how did that happen. It's you know how that happened. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. 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 I'm wondering if you, do you remember getting like an aha moment before med school about like how pregnancy happened? I remember in our last interview, we talked about how you would like go to the library and like check out books and you were the one who like, you know, had the motivation to learn about sex ed and how how the body worked in, in that way. But do you remember any sort of like talk? Okay, you're nodding no, your head. I can't not a, hear. Not a talk. I, oh, I'm going to go all the way back. The first time I ever remember being aware of anything that like menstrual cycle was associated with pregnancy or anything like that, because as you know, your grandma, my mom, never said a word to me about sex or pregnancy other than one word, which is don't. <laughs> so uh, so there was no learning, like mother-daughter learning going on in the house and all the way up to the point, and I'm going to be really honest with you, to when I got my first period, I did not know that it was coming. I didn't know what it was. I was scared. And this is not an uncommon story. No, of girls course. go and hide in the bathroom and they think they did something wrong and something's happening. But Prior to me getting my first period, I remember a, a, a very quick conversation that I had. I'm not going to say her name, but my old next door neighbor, and you know who she is. Okay. Um, Shout out. Okay. She's she's three years older than me, right? So she had three more years of knowledge, but a similar mother. Okay. So I remember I must have probably been around 10 and her coming to me one day and saying, do you know that when girls get their periods, that's when they can get pregnant? Now, she was actually telling me something true, that once you get your period, you can become pregnant, but she was conveying it to me as in, when you get a period, that's the time you can get pregnant. So don't have sex when you get your period, because you'll get pregnant. Oh, and, I, and my confused 10-year-old mind was like, what's a period? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, But I remember that was the first exposure, and I was like, I got to look this up. <laughs> so... So is that when you went to the library? Probably. I mean, there, like I said, there was no internet, but there were libraries and you were allowed to, you know, have a library card. What's yeah. that? You want to know what that is? A library. <laughs> Mom, we have digital library cards nowadays. Okay. It's Good. called Libby. Okay. Look it up. I will. I'll go to the library. Go to the library. <laughs> so, okay. but anyway, so that was... thought that you would yes. get pregnant mm-hmm. like during your period. Right. So you were like, oh, I don't... When, do you remember when you were like, wait, that's not true? Um, probably not 
Like as a teen? Yeah. I remember also the next very specific thing that when I was in middle school, we did have like classes in health education Mm -hmm. slash sex education where they would separate the boys and the girls. But they did teach us about all the different types of contraception. And I was the type of student that I knew what they were going to look at the next day. And I'd look it up the night before so that I'd have the fucking nerve. Yeah, that was me. That was me. Um, But I remember like reading about it, having no real idea what I was reading. But then when somebody would ask the question, like, so what do you think this is? And show like a picture or something. I'd raise my hand and go like, and explain it in the way the book told me. Exactly. (laughs) I don't think they were telling us about that, but they did. I know they mentioned things like condoms and, um, diaphragms and things like that. Oh, so right. yeah, so I knew about it. And I think one of the big reasons that I had this push to go into women's health was that because I felt like there was such a big gap in this educational part of it. And I wanted to be somebody that would fill that gap so that when people would have those kind of questions, I could supply those answers in a way that would make sense to them and, and they could move on with those answers from there. And you're so good at it. Like in your, here's a plug for my mom's books. She has two books that are out. The first one is called Womb with a View. And the second one is Motherhood, Medicine, and Me. And in the second book, my mom talks about how she comes from a family of teachers. So like my Uncle Bob was a teacher. My Aunt Marcia was a teacher. My grandma was a special ed teacher. My grandpa was in like the school district. Wasn't he in like operations kind no, of? No, he was. He actually taught English as a second language. Oh, that's right. He taught English as a second language. So like it makes a lot of sense that you and I'm like this too. And I think because of you just like really enjoy the the actual like lessons that you can teach people rather than just like rote memorization, like making lessons really dynamic and fun. And like, you know, I think with birth control and with sex and with pregnancy, the topics are interesting enough that you just like you can make it fun and, and a fun thing for people to learn rather than just like telling people information and running out the door. So I think you are you definitely are like a natural born teacher, which is fun to see with I your do. patients. Because I really like that because I, I have kind of this way of starting at the beginning, you know, and, and giving somebody like the whole story in a, in a teaching mode so that the end result is that's the answer to the question that they were looking for, not just the answer, you know. Speaking of that, it's almost like we paid you to do that, but literally explain ovulation <laughs> and how pregnancy happens um, as like a biology reminder for our listeners, because I would almost bet money that there are some people listening who are like, I don't need to listen to this. I know how this happens, but I feel like I'm, as a sex educator who has a master's degree in this field, like I'm still learning about menstruation and things that like I didn't know as a young person or as, you know, someone last year. So <laughs> I I would love for you to just kind of like start at the beginning and explain how pregnancy happens. Okay. I The first part of it that I want to explain is the part that most people are going to say, oh, I know that. But then the, the next few parts of it are going to be things that that they really just might not know or not might not know the specifics of what I'm going to say. So basically, of course, all pregnancy or all thoughts of pregnancy begin with the menstrual cycle, right? So if you think about it, everybody has this idea in their head or in the books of what is a normal menstrual cycle. And in medicine, I hate to use the word normal, but when you think of 
the menstrual typical. cycle. Yeah, you're looking at what would you think a typical regular menstrual cycle would look like. So if you if, so if you read the book and and your body knows your body read the book and the body knows what to do, typical menstrual cycle is about 28 days long. And when you say that, you're really talking about the first day you bleed until the next time you bleed again. So that's a that's one cycle. And there's a lot of different things that have to happen in that 28-day period of time in order for a pregnancy to occur during that cycle. And of course, again, not everybody has a 28-day cycle. Some people don't menstruate for months. Some people skip. Some people have a different interval between their day one and the next day one every month. But if we're talking generalities, we're talking a 28-day menstrual cycle. So the first part of the menstrual cycle, the first, let's say, uh, seven or eight days starting from the day that you start bleeding, that is your period of time where blood builds up inside the uterus. So you're bleeding and at the same time, your body's making the kind of hormones to allow a buildup of lining inside that uterus in case you do have a pregnancy. So it builds up, builds up, and then about mid-cycle. So again, we're talking a 28-day cycle. Mid-cycle, of course, would be day 14. Day 14 is when there would be an ovulation, which means an egg is released from an ovary. It finds its way into the fallopian tube. And then if there's been a sperm in the area, <laughs> or many sperm in the area, but only one has to make its way up the fallopian tube, finds that egg, fertilizes it, and then would find its way back down into the uterus to implant. So then that would be a pregnancy. And that's why the blood that has built up inside the, the uterine cavity doesn't come out again because it's needed there to supply that growing embryo into a fetus, into a baby, etc. However, if there's no fertilization of that egg, then the second part of the menstrual cycle, which is after ovulation, so day 14 on, the next 14 days, that's a period of time of kind of breakdown. So there's a buildup time, ovulation, and breakdown. If there was no pregnancy, that uterine lining after another 14 days breaks down and then starts to bleed again. And day one, which is aka day 28, is the next menstrual cycle. So in order for somebody to, let's say, want to be planning or avoiding a pregnancy, they pretty much have to know when that time of ovulation would be. Fertile and window. Exactly, which is about three days. So let's say if your ovulation takes place on that day 14, that means the day before, the day of, and the day after, those three days are pretty much your fertile window. And again, that's a generalization, but that's the period of time that if you want to be pregnant, that's the time to focus on. If you don't want to be pregnant, that's the time to avoid. And what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what if I don't have a 28-day cycle? Some people have regular cycles, but they're not 28 days. So a lot of people will say, I get my period, then 30 days later, I get my next period. So that is a 30-day cycle. That's a 30-day interval between bleeding day one and the next bleeding day one. And that doesn't mean that you're still ovulating on day 14. If you don't have a 28-day cycle, you're actually ovulating two days later because the time period from the ovulation to the next period is the 14-day period of time. That is your phase, the breakdown phase or the after ovulation phase. So 
people will ask, so how do I know when I ovulate? Now, of course, there's plenty of predictor kits and there's a lot of apps and things like that. But if you really just want to use the counting method, and if you get a somehow regular period, whether it's 28 days or 30 30 days or 32 days, if it's regular and you know when to expect your next one, what you do is you look at the date you expect the next one and you count backwards 14 days because that's Mm -hmm. your ovulation time. So that's pretty easy for people who do have a regular period. But what about for people who have irregular periods? Like I bleed between, you know, 21 days later, and then the next time I bleed 40 days later. Those are the people, no matter what age they are, those are the people that would have a little bit harder time getting pregnant, not because they're infertile, but because it's harder to recognize their fertile window. Because mm. if you don't know when your next period is expected, how do you know how to count backwards 14 days? 14 days from what? So that's a really important piece of information because a lot of people will get pregnant just after I give them that information. Because I've had people that have a 32-day cycle, but they've always been looking at day 14 and they're focusing on day 14, day 14, but they're not ovulating on day 14. Right. So if they move it's technically forward day like seventeen or, 18, or right four days 18. later because their period comes four days later than a twenty eight right. cycle, they can count backwards, get the right date, and I've had several people go. That's all I needed the information. So that's an important piece of information. So and then wait, I have it, a follow up real quick. Sure. Do some people who have irregular periods and don't really know when their fertile window is like? just have a lot more like daily sex to like try to get pregnant? That's one way. (laughs) Um, Another way is don't forget what is like the definition of, oh, you're having trouble getting pregnant. So the definition is if you're under 35, that means you're having sex pretty much randomly and focusing on when you think you're ovulating, but after one whole year, it hasn't been successful. But if you're over 35 and under 40, then it's really six months. If you've tried for six months because you think you can pinpoint your day and you've done that for six months and you're 37 or 38, you really don't have a year. <laughs> um, and if you're over 40, it's I don't, I don't give anybody any period of time at all. If they're over 40 and they go, I want to get pregnant and my periods are irregular, um, I'll do a workup and help them to get pregnant with some medical you know, uh, management if that's appropriate. So yeah, I mean, now there are all these apps, there are ovulation predictor kits and things like that. But basically, when you use an app, most of those apps are based on the information you're inputting into the app. Right. Like, when was your last period? How are you feeling? What's your mood? When, when was the period before that? It goes with the trend. So it's not like that app has the ability to like look inside your body and, and say, oh, you're about to ovulate. Have a crystal I mean, ball. Not only that, even ovulation predictor kits, it's not a guarantee of ovulation. It checks a level in your blood that says, if this level is now high, you likely will ovulate within the next 24 to 48 hours. But that's not a guarantee. The way that I check for ovulation is when you think you ovulated, you, do, you can do a progesterone test, a blood test a week later. And if you have a certain progesterone level that's high enough that goes along with ovulation, then you pretty much have proof that somebody ovulated. But these predictors are just that. It's a predictor. It's not, well, my predictor says I'm ovulating, so I must be ovulating. No, that's that's not true. I feel like I interrupted you before. Was there something else you were going to say about pregnancy and like how it happens? I feel like you kind of shared, you know, everything about, or not everything, but <laughs> the basics about the menstrual cycle mm-hmm. and, you know, like that's how yeah, one I, gets pregnant. I think that everyone who is sexually active has to realize that 
every act can result in a pregnancy. So I think everyone has to have in their head, both partners <laughs> always have to have in their head, there's a potential for a pregnancy to come out of this act. So, and I'm not saying depending every on the kind, yeah, kind true, of sex right. that you're having. If you're having sex that can result in that has a, pregnancy, a penis and a vagina, right, then I think everybody has to have that thought in mind so that they don't end up going, "How did this happen?" Which, right? by the way, I think this is a good opportunity though, just to point out that like people listening might assume that like, oh, if we're talking about people who have a penis and a, and a vagina, then that is automatically like a straight cis couple. But the reality is, is there are plenty of people out there who are trans, non-binary, who identify in really different ways, who where one partner does have a penis and the other partner does have a vagina. So I get the question a lot, I don't know about you, of like, how can we tell queer people to have safe sex? And like, you know, what's what's the difference? And actually, like, Everyone has like the same parts. So in reality, if we want to be safe and there is a penis and a vagina involved and we're talking about pregnancy, then gender identity obviously matters in a lot of cases. In this case, it doesn't. It's really about, oh, if you're someone with a penis and you're having sex with a person with a vagina, there is a chance of That's pregnancy. That's assuming that that vagina is connected to a uterus, honey. <laughs> right? That's true. Okay, That's because true. So my you, guess, it, I guess it's more so a uterus. Right. Because if you've had that vagina reconstructed as part sure. of your you know, gender affirming surgery, right. and it doesn't have a, a place for creating a baby, then that's, that's not something point. to worry that's about. That's a good point. Right? So yeah. if it's if someone with a penis having sex with someone with a <laughs> Sorry uterus, to have to tell you that. <laughs> no, not. Why are you sorry? I think that's a really, <laughs> a, a really smart like point <laughs> that, you know, we don't want to over complicate or, you know, we want to share the facts, which is it's really like if you have a uterus, then that's where a pregnancy takes place. Right. And I can, <clears throat> I can just give you just a little hint of how it's not for certain that people really are aware of all that because, you know, a hysterectomy is when you remove someone's uterus, more or less. Like you could take out the uterus and leave the cervix, take the, cer take it, take the cervix with the uterus. But basically the word hysterectomy means removal of the uterus. And I cannot tell you how many people have asked me, I've had a hysterectomy. Will I still have a period? So all that really tells you is that they people are completely unaware of what creates the menstrual cycle. If right. you don't have a uterus, there's no place for menstrual blood to come from. Right. So, but but it, but I've always been a little bit surprised that, you know, because I don't do surgery anymore, so I don't do hysterectomies, but that is absolutely one of the counseling issues about, you know, once you have hysterectomy, you will not, you should not see any kind of menstrual blood because there's no portal for that. Yeah. So. We digress. Yes, I we know. have a lot more Sorry. to cover. No, don't apologize. <laughs> this is all really good. Uh, I want to know if you were to like write a sex ed curriculum for pregnancy 101 information, say like, you know, it started with young people. I think like, you know, your target audience is mostly adults. You do see some teens, but I would say the majority of people you interact with are in the menopausal stage, so clearly adults. But I think that it's so important to consider the fact that if kids and young people were to get this information, then they would be more informed adults and we wouldn't have to teach adults as much if young mm -hmm. people just learn more. Mm -hmm. I think it's great that we do, but I, I'm saying like teaching young people for me is a huge priority. So I'm really curious, what would you include 
in that lesson plan or lesson plans? I think first of all, it it really is important to make sure that young people, age appropriate, of course, know that a pregnancy is a result of this act. Because there's so much out there about like the stork and somebody delivered your baby and the milkman. I mean, that kids, you know, I don't know that people kind of think it's cute because they think, oh, my kid doesn't really need to hear about that kind of thing. But I really do feel like there are age appropriate ways to talk about intimacy without having to feel like you're above their heads or saying things that, you know, they couldn't internalize or they couldn't shouldn't really hear mm-hmm. to say that this is an end result of that and where and to use the correct anatomy for where the baby grows i don't think there's a problem using the word uterus i mean people still use the word womb which is okay too you don't have to get so anatomical but you know to realize that it's not growing in this lady's stomach you know i think that that's important to know that that it's it's important that People take good care of themselves so that, you know, when there is a pregnancy that, that they're very healthy. And, you know, I think in relation to the whole picture, you know, love and, and wanting to mm. bring a life into the world and not just talk about it in terms of, so you don't want that to happen to you, <laughs> you know? And I, so I think those things are important. And I, and I do think that, that as they get older and as you're teaching things like even on a college level, because, you know, many young um, people who are in their 20s, early 20s, mid 20s are becoming pregnant or and either whether they keep the pregnancy or they, they decide not to. I think it's important to know kind of how this moves along, like, like what are the factors that will influence a pregnancy? I think it's so important to have. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think, well, a little bit of digression there as far as not really teaching it as a course, but as you know, because you helped me on this, um, I think it's really, really important for preconceptual type of counseling to go on because very often the very first time I see a patient is when they come in because they're already pregnant. And there's so much information and so many things we can talk about prior to that, that I just love when someone comes in and says, I'm thinking about getting pregnant in the near future. I still have my IUD in place, but I, you know, I'm thinking about when I want to take it out, which again, let's talk about myths. You know, people think, well, I take my IUD out. Do I have to wait a year till I get pregnant? You know, that's a whole other podcast episode. Spoiler alert, you don't have to wait a year. (laughs) Of course. But I think that's the time to talk about things that are in the pamphlet that you helped me create, which I still use, which is what is your family history? Are you up to date on your immunizations? Uh, what are your own habits that might influence a pregnancy like drug use and smoking, alcohol, things like that? What medications do you take? What are the genetics of your family? Like, It's almost as if someone gets pregnant and then they decide all of that stuff is important mm. and it's important ahead of time. So I think that kind of information in anyone who has the potential to be pregnant and their partner, of course, but you know the person that's carrying the baby. It's mostly the imp- affected by habits and <laughs> genetics and things like that. But I'm I, I'm so passionate about people having that information ahead of time that I try to 
have my young ladies who, like I said, are still on birth control and maybe not thinking about it right now to at least start thinking about all of those things. Because one of the things I know we wanted to talk about today is what makes a healthy pregnancy. And and I know I've mentioned this to you before, but it's it's it starts before you're pregnant, right? Mm. So habits and diet and exercise, you can't just mental make health. it. Yeah, mental health. You can't just make that all better now that you're pregnant because that puts a whole other um, spin on all of these things. Ever wish there was a Netflix of sexual wellness and intimacy? Lucky for you, there is. Meet Beducated. Beducated's online course platform has easy-to-follow video, audio, and written guides that provide techniques and information to level up your love life. They have so many courses on all things sex and intimacy, but some of my faves are the Female Orgasm course, Cunnilingus course, and the Squirting course. Join Beducated from just $7.99 per month with a 24-hour free trial using my coupon code, sexed at beducated.com. Seven years ago, I was gifted my first ever vibrator. It was a rabbit vibe, and I was immediately in love with it and the pleasure it gave me. Having a bit of experience with rabbit vibes over the last seven years, I am absolutely stoked to tell you about an amazing one from Fun Factory. Miss Buy from Fun Factory is the dual vibrator you've been dreaming of, with a powerful German-engineered motor that gives you super strong vibrations. Follow Fun Factory on IG at FunFactoryUSA, and use code SEXED with DB for 15% off your new favorite German rabbit vibe. And I imagine it's a lot harder to get into new habits when your body is changing and your hormones are changing. Can you give like a brief kind of like short synopsis of like what like can people expect like that happens to their body and mind when they become pregnant? Well, (laughs) a lot of things. I mean, everything about your body starts changing either in response to the hormones that are happening when you're pregnant or to get you ready to have the baby. So when I see somebody like for a first visit where we hardly ever are establishing pregnancy anyway, there used to be these old days before there were actual home pregnancy tests where someone come in and their chief complaint would be, I'm missing my period. I might be pregnant. And it would be up to us to go, aha, you're pregnant because we can do a test. Now, very few people come in pregnant not knowing they're pregnant, unless it was someone who's trying to avoid pregnancy and they just happened to come in because they missed a pill or something like that and we test them and they're pregnant. But most people, by and large, have done a pregnancy test at home, have already consulted the apps and everything. So we do a kind of confirmation visit and I we have this list that we go down. So basically, these are the things that I ask that most people have at least some of the things on this list. And one is fatigue because, hey, you're creating a person in there. You know, it takes a lot more energy. It takes a lot more calories. It takes a lot more everything to go into what's happening in your uterus, you know? So uh, almost everybody immediately, and I myself also had, that was the only sign that I had that I was pregnant all three times. I was like, unbelievably exhausted. And of course, I, I was in medical school or I was a doctor. So I never really looked at it like, I'm much more tired than usual, but I was. So fatigue is a big one. Um, Of course, the very standard, and unfortunately, this hits almost everybody, nausea and vomiting, or just nausea. Uh, Many- Yeah, why is that? It's mostly related to pregnancy hormones, that when the pregnancy hormones go very, very high because they spike, you know, in early pregnancy, and then they start to kind of diminish- 
pregnancy hormone is a stimulator of your nausea and vomiting center. And, you know, if you if you do believe kind of the, the mythical thing about it, they say, which I don't really think it's 100% true because I never had nausea and vomiting and you guys are pretty okay, but they say that people get nauseous and vomiting to stay to keep you staying away from things that you really shouldn't be eating. But I don't really think uh-huh. it's true. <laughs> because people eat all kinds of things. Like they get cravings for things they shouldn't eat. They get cravings for things that, that are really healthy. But almost everybody has some degree of nausea and vomiting. Also, um, this kind of problem with like the equilibration of your fluids, like all your blood flow, not all, but most of your blood flow is flowing to the uterus in order to support the pregnancy, create the baby, create the placenta, all that. Um, so let's say you're sitting down or lying down and you stand up really quickly. Many women have like this kind of pregnancy, uh, dizzy episodes or things like that, or they go in a hot shower and just, you know, they'll get really dizzy from being in someplace steamy. And so that, you know, there are ways that we talk about to try to combat that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one, big one, is breast tenderness. Most women will tell me that was one of the ways I really knew because suddenly my breasts started feeling really full and heavy. And that's like your, your body's nipples are really just everything. like your boot. Oh, okay. The whole thing. And and th- that's kind of your body's way of whether you're planned to breastfeed or not, that's the body's way of getting those breast ducts and glands ready to create milk if you're gonna use it. So that's really interesting. I don't know. <laughs> Um, just sharing uh, about my body for a second. I am currently not on hormonal birth control. And what I notice in my body the week before I get my period is that my nipples are extremely sensitive and like hurt if I touch them. Is that a hormonal thing as well? You know, the way that you can tell whether something's hormonal or not is does it happen cyclically? Yeah. You know, like people who have PMS, do they feel that way five to 10 days before they get their period every month, pretty much with regularity, then it's a right. hormonally re- regulated kind of symptom. Yeah. So yeah. That makes so, sense. And you know, some people who are pregnant get really, really lucky. And I'm so glad that I was one of them that I never was nauseous, never vomited, never had, you know, any of those really early- check? Should I call dad or yeah. Bill? Yeah. No. Well, yeah, you, you can check because I, I, I worked straight through, right? I never would, was sick or anything. Well, when I was pregnant with you, I was sick a little bit, but not nauseous or vomiting. I had preterm labor with you. But, you know, it's very few people that escape all the symptoms. And I had that dizziness thing for sure. Like I would like get up and just black out and for yeah, feel very dizzy. So yeah. those are very, very typical symptoms that people feel. And is that like, what about Fast forward a little bit to when you're like in your third trimester and like you're, you know, a month, a couple weeks giving birth. Like what's going on with your body and your mind and like (laughs) explain a little bit. I feel like a lot of people feel like they don't recognize themselves anymore at that point um, because – What do you mean by that? Because I feel like, you know, it's it's almost as if somebody – has just taken over your body because everything that you do at that point is very dependent on can you get comfortable because there's this large <laughs> person <laughs> inside you, you know, moving around and taking up space and sitting on your bladder and not letting you sleep. So in the third trimester, like if you're going to kind of track pregnancy all the way through, first trimester, most people have all these kind of early symptoms and they have to deal with them. And we have good ways to deal with nausea and vomiting and dizziness and all these other things. The second trimester, I always call the, the, the second wind because the baby's really not big enough to be 
pressing on anything or really creating too many problems unless, you know, you have some kind of high risk thing that develops and you are energetic enough to be able to still exercise and, you know, eat good food and, and just really feel well, which is what I see a lot in people in the second trimester. And then as they get close to delivery, I mostly hear from people, uh, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm really ready for this to be over. over it. Yeah, because it's heavy. I mean, imagine walking around with that extra weight all the time. Your back hurts, your breasts are tender. Um, you know, it, you're hard to sleep, I yeah, imagine. Yeah. Sex is different. Yeah. You're getting up in the middle of the night to get up and go to the bathroom. And, you know, and of course, if it's a first baby, well, if you're tired and you don't have to work every day or you can take time off or whatever, then rest. But imagine people having their second or third baby and, you know, their first or first and second baby are still little, you know, it's, it's not so easy. God, that sounds very challenging. Mm-hmm. Damn. Let's fast forward to postpartum because I feel like, you know, some discussion is given to pregnancy and sex ed, but it's a lot more rare to really hear like what happens physically to a pregnant person's body postpartum. You know, if there's stuff you want to share about recovering from birth or C-sections or, you know, I've heard you many times be like, oh man, it was really bloody in there and like it was really tough. I didn't know like what what the outcome really necessarily was going to be, like it, it can be a very intense experience for most people. And yeah, breast or chest feeding, like whatever you want to say about that, like let's well, let's get I, into postpartum. I definitely think that postpartum is really, really dependent on two things. How you were in every aspect, like physically, emotionally, mentally, and everything going into your delivery, because I know I, I pretty much say this ad nauseum that deliveries are usually, not always, there's no guarantee on how your delivery is going to be, usually better if you're going into it as healthy as you can possibly be, which means you've been active during your pregnancy if you can, that you eat healthy, that your your vitamins are, you know, the ones that you should be taking are in your system, that you're not anemic, all the good things that can happen moving into your delivery will affect in some way the type of delivery you have. So of course, all of that affects postpartum. So people that are have been active and are in good shape and exercise regularly, I mean, this is all documented stuff, they will recover better postpartum regardless of what kind of delivery they had. But of course, that's the second part of this. People's recovery are going to be very dependent on what kind of delivery you had, because it can go all the way from somebody who really never felt that much pain, came to the hospital, you know, went in, into active labor, had the baby and le- and wanted to literally leave the same day. I've had that at mostly not, I have to say mostly people want to leave the same day, either if they have other kids at home that they don't want to leave and they feel really great and had an easy, fast delivery, or a couple of times that I've delivered surrogates, they don't really want to hang around and look at the nursery or anything like that. They're like, Makes okay, sense. bye, drop the baby. I'm done. Yeah. Get out of here. See you so, later. But so it very much depends on what type of delivery. So if you've had something so nice and easy like that, and then you know from the years I've been doing this and coming home late at night, it can be anything from like what you were describing, you know, like a really long, drawn out, and then vaginal delivery that ends up in a very kind of difficult recuperation to a C-section that ended up being an emergency and, you know, lots of bleeding and things like that. So the type of delivery you have physically and emotionally affects your postpartum recovery so much. And now we actually, 
have been, I would say in the last few years, honing in on that a lot more. We used to typically say, if you have a vaginal livery, come back and see me in six weeks in the office. That's your postpartum visit without any regard to the fact that these women may need a counselor. They may need postpartum medication. They may need to really be examined before that something may be going on. And we used to say after a C-section, come back in two weeks, I'll look at your incision and then come back in another four weeks and that would make your six-week visit. Now we don't do that at all. I 100% make my postpartum visit dependent on what kind of delivery they had and what their mm-hmm. needs might be afterwards. And if there was some emotional issue, if there was a tr- traumatic delivery, there was difficulty, sometimes it's, I see them in a week. Sometimes I, I call them the next day after they go home. You know, there's so much more interaction postpartum. Um, and I don't think anybody these days should be doing the standard like, oh, six weeks because you had a vaginal delivery. Not at all. Even if you had a nice kind of easy vaginal delivery, there are things to discuss you know, mm-hmm. before that six week postpartum visit. So again, um, you know, being in good, as good shape as you can be physically, having a, a really good, healthy diet, having support around you, taking stock in what was your emotional state before and during pregnancy. Do you have a lot of anxiety? Do you have depression that um, went through the pregnancy with you? You are much more likely to have postpartum depression. So things have to be in place for afterwards to make sure that these people have support after mm-hmm. their deliveries. Yeah. And when you see them at these visits, like what are they complaining about or chatting with you about in terms of their body changes or, you know, their feeding if they're choosing to breast or chest feed or, you know, they're like healing, like what, I mean, I'm sure it's very different, but I guess what are like the most common like postpartum topics that you talk about? The most common thing that I have seen where I really, really try to get ahead of it with them is making sure that their expectations are are appropriate. You know, there's a lot of this like judgment and criticism from mm-hmm. other people. And I can tell you one thing that's been great about COVID is that nobody has to have people in their house after they have the delivery, you know, because there's a lot of that that goes on. Like people come over, why aren't you doing this? Why are you feeding that way? Whoa, look, he has a red spot on his face. You know, like people get crazy with relatives who just don't know their boundaries and it's hard for the the parents, you know, to set them. But now there's been no setting them. Like people have even said to me, no one can come over, right? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, it's so great for you and your (laughs) your partner to just be with that baby and, you know, bond. And Mm. yeah, and because now people are, especially where we live, there are no masks anymore. Yes, in the hospital and yes, in my office, but not in any indoor situations. And people are starting to go over to people's houses and things. But a baby's still a baby and COVID is still out there. And babies, unless the mom got vaccinated and we have some kind of proof that the baby got the antibodies, which we don't know, they're not testing. You have to assume that that baby is immune naked, you know? So I think it's a good thing to be able to have boundaries about other people coming in and making comments about what you're doing. And I, I've given my patients just one line. And I said, anybody that asks you, why is your doctor telling you to do this? Or why are you doing that? Or whatever? Your answer is, I've discussed that very thing with my doctor and we made the decision together. And that's mm. our decision. Because that's what are they going to do? Say, I know more than your doctor, which they all imply anyway, but they're not going to say that in those words. If you've already said, I've had that conversation with my doctor and we decided this. Right. So 
yeah, postpartum, I, I, the one thing I really want postpartum um, parents to know is that if you have a plan and you feel like you've discussed things and you, you're anticipating how things will be and you have some flexibility, you can't sit there and kind of go, it's supposed to be like this. My, like my breastfeeding was supposed to be so perfect. And, mm. you know, it's not for everybody. It's, it can be hard and it can be, there can be a need to change the plan. And that's not a bad thing. And it's not, you can't feel guilty about that. You can't let other people judge that. Would you say it's pretty common that people come in planning to chest feed or breastfeed and then they change their mind based on a new decision or it's more challenging or they just don't want to anymore? Or would you say that it's more common that people do breast or chest feed? Like how how common is that? With first babies, unfortunately, I feel like they actually have no idea, even if they've gone to lactation classes and read about it and spoken to me, they really don't get that this is going to be an every one and a half hour thing for where the baby eight, is six on you to for, a year. Yes, for a long time. And it hurts and it doesn't make you feel great if you're dehydrated and, and, and it's frustrating. And I think I definitely encourage that kind of feeding if that's truly what people want to do. But I, I spend a lot of postpartum time actually saying, you know, you do have permission to change the plan a little bit and your baby is not going to suffer from this change of plan. And like, we really go over it. And I can't tell you how many crying postpartum women I've had in my office that I feel so much for that have said, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because they, they hold themselves from up. Yeah. An authority some, figure like you. Yeah. Well, and they hold themselves up to some unrealistic standard. I've had people come in where they're dealing with their sixth bout of mastitis and they are still, you know, they're having fevers and, and they just. Can you explain what mastitis is? Yeah. Mastitis is when you're breastfeeding and you get a breast infection. So, you know, the breast gets tender and red and you have a fever sometimes and you just can't empty everything and there's some very specific things that from you like can do to follow from like a clogged duct or sometimes or just from you know don't forget bacteria the more, yeah the more the baby sucks maybe it's not in their mouth exactly as it should be or maybe the latch isn't great and there's bacteria on the skin it gets into the ducts and right it's really uncomfortable yeah how about like Okay, say, for example, because I'm curious about like, oh, you know, people who had, say, a vaginal delivery that like went, quote unquote, pretty easily or like, you know, pe the, the, the person giving birth like isn't in that much pain or maybe they're in pain for like a week. Like, what do you typically recommend when they if and when they come to you saying, when can I like have sex again or when can I? Um, you know, or, or are they like, get, walk me through like that person going home from the hospital and like, are they wearing like a pad or a diaper? Like what, what, what should they expect? Well, after a vaginal delivery where, as you're describing, it's not like super traumatic and, you know, lots and lots of stitches or, or some kind of complication. Um, yes, everybody is pretty much bleeding after whether they have a vaginal delivery or a C-section. It's called lochia. And it's the rest of what is going to come out. Because don't forget, just because the baby came out, yes, all your hormone levels pretty much precipitously start to drop. 
but you, your uterus still fills up with blood because all those blood vessels are still open and still feeding. So there's going to be some more blood that still builds up and that it has been left over from after the delivery. So the lochia actually will be not, it's not unusual for it to go on for another three weeks, but not heavy, heavy. Like if it gets heavier and heavier, of course, that's one of the things on the list where we tell people to give us a call because it shouldn't be. But it gets, it's kind of heavy when you leave the hospital, like a heavy period. And then over the next three weeks, you get lighter and lighter. And then of course, breastfeeding um, influences that because when you breastfeed, your brain releases oxytocin, which is something that helps your uterus to contract more. The more it contracts, the more it will release all whatever that blood is in there. So sometimes people will nurse They'll feel some contractions. They'll get up. They'll have a little bit more bleeding. Then you know, not much more later on. Then they nurse again. Same thing happens. So that all of that is pretty normal as long as no one has a fever, severe pain, bad odor, bad discharge, or anything like that. So that's pretty much what we tell people. And as far as going back to activities for that, I do pretty much stick with the standard because don't forget, after a vaginal delivery, the cervix is still open for a little while. So you really don't want to have intercourse and introduce. Don't forget, I didn't know that. How long is it open for? Like, why is it just because it's because like it getting takes back a while, right, to right. Like contract again? Exactly. Um, so it takes a little while for it to completely close. And one of the things I do do at my four to six week visit, more or less, is do an exam just to make sure that the uterus has shrunken down. Seen. And that's our, that word is involution. So the uterus involutes and goes back down to normal size at some point, And you want to make sure that that is happening over the for the six weeks afterwards. So I do tell people to wait to have intercourse until six weeks. And then that's also why I like to see them several weeks after the delivery, because I get an idea of, should I tell them, yes, you can go back and exercise or should they wait? You know, and of course, with a C-section, longer periods of time, depending on, was it an elective C-section? Was it an emergency? How much bleeding was there, et cetera? Wow. So much good information. We have nearly come to a close. Yeah, I feel like I still have so many more questions, but that's just probably because I am wanting to have kids at some point in the next, I don't know. Are you though? Three to five years. (laughs) I don't know. Probably less. We'll see. Don't pressure me, guys. Um, (laughs) So my last question, I know it's a little more challenging just because there's so much to say, but I'm curious if there's like a top three questions that you get from your patients when it comes to pregnancy 101, you know, things that they're concerned about or really need education about, or like the things that you find you're saying over and over and over again, because there's a clear pattern. Um, I think the most questions that I get, and it's not usually at the very beginning of pregnancy. It's as we're getting closer to the delivery because that's where people's anxiety starts to build up. They want to know what are things that they should or shouldn't do, which may be bad for the baby because they've heard it from somewhere. Mm. So for example, um, I've heard, <laughs> this is what they t- come in and tell me, I've heard that epidurals are not good because they will stall out my labor and it will take a lot longer. When in actuality, the exact opposite is true. That when someone's in pain and they have so much pain that they are just, you know, inconsolable and they don't want to have any pain medication, you know, asking them exactly why do you not want to have any relief from your pain 
it almost always elicits something like, because I heard, <laughs> because I heard that it's not good for the baby, because I heard it will slow down my labor. And the time to have that discussion is not when they're writhing in pain. <laughs> the time to have that discussion is before labor. So at about 34 weeks, I give all of my patients just a double-sided thing called a birth plan. It's a simple template that I ask them to fill out before their next visit, which will be at 36 weeks, so that we can discuss what their desires are for their delivery. Um, and that's usually one of the big ones, like, I don't know what I want to do about pain relief, because you know there's so much of this stuff out there on the internet, on TV, about how beautiful it is to just go through your labor with you know, unmedicated and you just breathe through it and then you push really hard and there you get your baby. And believe me, I would never take away from somebody if that is really their desire. You want to feel all that pain? You want to just push your baby out and feel that whole thing? That's totally okay with me. But please come to that decision from, from some pathway that is the truth and not think that that is somehow better for the baby because it's not, mm. you know, my goal with people who are, I'm going to deliver is that they somehow have a memory of their delivery of their labor and delivery. That is somehow good. Like not, I enjoyed it. Like it's a party, but that I didn't hate it and it wasn't traumatic. And it, I didn't feel like I was in so much pain that I just wanted it to be over and, and, and done with. Um, so you know, not having any relief of pain is not something that might push you in the direction of enjoying your, your labor and delivery. But again, I'm here to support whatever decision people make, but I want them to make the decision based on facts. So that's probably the number one thing that I hear. Like, is it, is it bad to get an epidural? Is it, I heard it's bad to be induced. I heard it's bad to, you know, I don't know, all, all kinds of things that people hear. Also, we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm sure there are like scientific studies about the fact that like some of it, not all of it, but some of it is cultural and there are these like societal norms within certain cultures and that isn't uh, an, an accident, right? Like that stereotype or that misinformation has been perpetuated in those yeah. circles of elders that people trust. And like, I think it's a really tricky thing to be who we are, which is like white people and like healthcare to like mm -hmm. convince people, yes, like the science and we want them to make their own decision. And yet like there's centuries of history that like is very strong when it comes right. to and, cultural and practices. I'm, I'm totally fine with them making the decision. But number one, I really want it to be their decision. Right. Because when we used to have a lot of people in the delivery room, I think the most people I've ever had in the delivery room of a family was like eight people because they oh, wanted wow. them in and the hospital said, okay, and I don't really care. But like everybody had their own opinion on what she should be doing. So it's really hard to glean out from that what the patient really wants. Right. So, and I, so I'm fine if you tell me, yes, I want to stand up and have my delivery. And if it's, I feel like it's safe, okay, I want to be in the shower. I mean, I've done like many, many different things for people's comfort and their desires if they're safe. But if they're thinking something That's is the bad. Key, if they're safe. Yeah, for sure. And, and if they're thinking that something is unsafe, 
based on something that's not true, it's still my job to say, here's what the science says. And then it's my job to just give information and it, they can make whatever decision they want, again, as long as it's something safe. So I think that is the number one thing. And then the number two thing is probably kind of going along that line as well, that people have some kind of idealized version of what their labor and their delivery should be like and anything less. And I've even seen it in my own family members, like feeling like they did something that wasn't in their original plan is like a failure. And I, I just, it breaks my heart to feel like somebody says, yeah, I got that epidural. I gave in, you know, I, it, it does break my heart because I wouldn't ask anybody else to go through a major medical uh, procedure that's going to be extremely painful and withhold pain With medication. No pain medication, then. right? I mean, so why would we expect people to do that? So you know, when people ask me what is the most important thing I can bring with me to my delivery, you know my answer: flexibility. Right. Oh, I actually didn't know that that's okay. what you said, but that's a good answer. I've said that before because I, I understand what your desire is. I can support that in every way that I can. But until I'm sitting at the edge of the bed and she's pushing and we're getting that baby out of there, anything can happen. And yeah. I like to think of myself as somebody who's doing um, you know, shared decision making. Like Even when somebody's pushing, I did a delivery the other day. This is my last delivery that I did um, last Tuesday night. And she's pushed, it was her third baby and I delivered her last baby. So we know each other pretty well and she's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then suddenly I'm watching the fetal heart monitor just go way, way down and everyone in the room can hear it go boom, boom. And I said, you need to push the baby out on the next push. Otherwise I can use a vacuum. And of course I go into my little spiel about this is what a vacuum is. These are the risks and benefits. And I need to tell you that because I need to have your permission before I put it on. I said, but I think you can push the baby out. But I said to the nurse, Give, take the vacuum out and put it on the table in case I need it. And she pushed the baby out in the next push. But anything can happen. You know, It yeah. might not be in your plan that you wanted me to take out a set of forceps and, and help pull your baby out. But if it needs to be in the moment, I'm going to quickly tell you about it, try to get consent and explain it all. But still, emergency is emergency. And I'm hoping that one of the reasons people come to me <laughs> in general is that if this mm, hits the fan and something has to happen, Mom, they you trust can me. say shit. Okay, whatever. That's okay. <laughs> if it hits the fan and something has to happen right away, that they trust that I'm the person who will be able to do that. So I, mean, I trust I'm, that. Good. You want me to deliver your baby? My, many people have asked me. <laughs> I feel like it. It is too much of a conflict of interest. Yeah, but you know why it's a bad thing, and I and I totally understand it because if something happens emergently. I don't think someone You're who's that biased. close to you yeah. is, is the right person to make those decisions. We've all seen Grey's Anatomy. You can't just have all your family members involved. There's Lexi. There's, you know, all the, all the people. <laughs> She's dead. Too close. She, okay, Where are you? Spoiler, Mom. <laughs> um, all right, Mom. We're... Wait, I did want to. I oh, did want to tell you some places that I think people oh, should be able to I know. look I, up. Okay. I was going to say, we're okay. coming to a close, okay. but I not only want you to tell people places that they should look up and the websites, but I also want you to plug yourself a little bit, like tell Ooh. people where they can find you, where they can get your amazing books, like okay. where they can Don't forget read. your pictures on the on the cover. <laughs> oh, that's right. My our baby pictures. Um so yeah, go go ahead into that into that spiel. Okay. So a couple of things. One, there's a great online resource <clears throat> because 
again, one of the top questions that people ask me is if something is bad for the baby. So they're always thinking about like certain medications that they've taken, like an antibiotic or something for nausea, or if they took some kind of pain medication, how do I know that's not bad for the baby? Now, honestly, there's not great studies on every single medication out there because you got to figure how would they do those studies? They have to give that medication to a lot of pregnant people and see that nothing bad happened to them. And that's really not ethical. <laughs> but right. there's this great website called mothertobaby.org. So one word, mothertobaby.org. And they have so much information available about, it has like a little search thing on the top and you can put the medication in and they'll... Uh, give you information and, and printed up packets of things. And there's a chat feature. Like when you get uh -huh. on, even when I get on there to look something up sometimes, like some obscure medication at the bottom, how can we help you? How did, how did you find our website? And you can just go on there and someone will talk to you about it. So that's a great resource. And I'm not saying do that instead of coming to me, my patients, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it's Sunday. You don't really need to call me and ask about Tylenol. You can, you know, I, I've already told people at their first visit what they can and can't take. But again, something pops up and they want to know. Um, ACOG is a really good resource. A-C-O-G, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology.org. And there are tabs for patient information. So I have a lot of their pamphlets and things in my office. Now, of course, most of them are digital and they have a lot of really good factual information there. And if you want to look at them on Instagram, it's ACOG underscore org. So check them out. Okay. And one last one is there's a really great resource for postpartum anxiety and depression. It's the Postpartum International. So it's PSI, Postpartum Support International, and they are www.postpartum.net. And where really can good. people find you? You can find me working in my office in Napa <laughs> um, and my, the website for my office, if you want to see me and see all the ladies who work in my office, <laughs> is um, premierobgynnapa.com is our website. And my books are available on Amazon. Thank you so much for people who have bought them because I get my analytics on my books and I am so happy that people are still reading them. And they're, they're pretty very much, good. Thank you. They're pretty much for people who want to hear a mix of what my own life was like while I was becoming an OBGYN and what my home life was like while I was doing that as well. It does have Danielle's birth story in there. If anyone wants to read about Danielle being born. I'm sure you do. Whoever's you, listening, you must. The best. Oh, you were the best out of my three deliveries. Oh, of course. <laughs> Classic. Don't yeah. doubt that for a second. <laughs> Take that, Jake and Dylan. Um, well, is that is that it? Do you have anything else you want to plug? Um, no, I don't want to plug anything really. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you can find my articles on medium.com if you just put my yes. name in the search bar. And yeah. and if if you're looking for a pregnancy article, one of my favorite ones that I wrote is called What to Expect from Me When You're Expecting. So see what cute. I, see what I did Very there. clever. <laughs> Mom, thank you so much for being on. I love you so much. You're my favorite person mom. in the I'm world. your favorite mom. Thanks. No, person. <laughs> you are my favorite mom as well. And I am so grateful that you have come on every season to add so much to the people listening about so many different topics. And we can't wait to have you on next season. Thank you. I can't wait to come back. I don't know what else we're going to talk about. We've done every topic. <laughs> we'll find something. <laughs> okay. Love you. Love you. Bye, everyone. 
Let me tell you about an amazing educated course about the female orgasm. In this course, you'll learn how to touch the different pleasure zones of the vulva, expand your experience of pleasure and orgasmic potential, get new techniques for achieving multiple orgasms, and learn about sex toys for exploring new ways to orgasm. Beducated's content is super easy to follow and inclusive with a community of sex-positive experts leading the way. Level up your love life and join Beducated from just $7.99 per month with a 24-hour free trial using my coupon code SEXED at Beducated.com. In a world that constantly encourages you to change, it's bold to just be yourself. Sexual expression and satisfaction are different for everybody, so rather than conforming to others, focus on falling in love with who you are. Lion's Den sources the very best products to help you find what you like and help you feel confident expressing your sexual desires. You can get 15% off in-store and online using code SEXEDWITHDB to begin exploring everything about yourself. Follow Lion's Den on social, at Lion's Den Adult on Instagram and TikTok. Do you ever look at yourself in the mirror and think, damn, my part is fine art? Well, Clona Willie definitely thinks so. Made in Portland, Oregon, Clona Willie makes for the most personalized sex toy on the planet, and Clona Pussy makes for the most unique memento. Their mission is to create unique, affordable, and high-quality products that will not only last over the years, but provide their customers with a fun and memorable experience. Use promo code SEXEDWITHDB for 20% off at clonawilly.com. Our creator, host, EP, and sound engineer is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Katherine Cohen. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds, and our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. Want to advertise with us? Email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on IG at sexedwithdbpodcast and on TikTok at sexedwithdb. See you next time.